Hello, and welcome to the Glossy Year in Review podcast. Not Week in Review, Year in Review. This is our special end-of-year edition of the Week in Review podcast, where we are going to talk through uh, five of the biggest stories, themes, trends, issues, all the stuff that happened in the fashion industry, as picked by us from 2022. And today, I'm joined by both of my regular co-hosts, Editor-in-Chief Jill Manoff and international reporter Zofia Zviglinska. Hello, guys. It's so good to see you both at the same time. This is new for us. I like our group. This is fun. This will be fun. Hi, Danny. Very fun to be on. (laughs) Good. I'm so glad that you guys are both here. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, and it's going to be a little bit of a longer episode so we can go into some of the, the topics. So some of these are kind of Some of these are specific incidents or news stories, and some are kind of just broader trends that were happening throughout the year. I wanted to start with probably one of the the biggest ones that kind of affected outside of fashion as well, which was just inflation, which, you know, maybe one of the biggest issues of the year Um, for both consumers and brands alike. I felt like everyone was feeling the fact that just everything's more expensive than it used to be on the consumer side. People were spending more money to buy things, but also on the brand side, it cost more money to make those things in the first place, which led to price increases and all this stuff. Um, uh, one thing I think is that the supply chain issues have sort of evened out a little bit. So that kind of was a little easier, but the 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 price increase and just the amount that stuff costs definitely was felt by all. Um, let's start with Jill. What do you what do you think? Do how do you feel like that affected fashion this year? I think it affected it greatly. Um, like you said, there were so many issues, like left and right. Um, uh, Russia's war against the Ukraine. Anyway, the the war, it really held uh, held up a lot of sales in Russia. I mean, halted um pandemic supply chain, uh backups, like you said, still lingered. Um I mean, it just there were choices that consumers had to make. Um and it became, you know, gas was at a high. Are are you going if people were focusing on priorities, uh interest rates we're at a high. There are all these amazing stats that recently came out at the end of the year that, you know, um, of course, luxury thrived throughout the year. Um, some of that was due to, you know, for better or worse, adults like me for a long time um, living with their parents. And, you know, well, they're not paying rent, they can buy a nice bag. So, um, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it changed consumer habits. Um, we recently, as of this week, we're in winding down nearing the holiday. Um, there were these stats about the November, um, inflation and that it was slowing for categories outside of apparel. Apparel was an exception in that it was increasing month over month, um, by, you know, a single digit percentage, a small percentage, but I mean, that sucks. And then yesterday, again, we're in mid December, um, it was this like the lowest the Dow dro- the Dow excuse me drops um, more than it had in September uh, since September and so you know stocks of all these apparel companies um, again tanked um, and this was all due to th- this data that's coming out that like inflation is not slowing right now um, interest rates are high. Brands need to spend, they need to borrow money. Lowering lowering their prices right now is not really, you know, something that they're interested in. And so what does that mean? You know, it's like a big question mark moving forward. Are people going to, where are people going to put their money? 
2023 is looking bleak. I know we're not going forward, but like when we talk to brands, really what they're saying is, you know, TBD, we don't know what's to come. The the resounding message is the worst is yet to come. Like that's what they're bracing for. I keep like imagining on Double Worst Prada where they're like, gird your loins, like when Miranda walks in. But like, I kind of feel like everybody's like all like clenched up, you know what I mean? And just like what's coming yeah. and just waiting and anticipating. Um, Because like I said, brands cost at a high, consumers waiting for the, the prices to drop and that's not happening Um, unless... You know, unless they're turning to like fast fashion, but there's more to discuss there. I'm going on and on. This is a huge topic. No, yeah, it, it is big. And I'm going to pass it over to Zofia, but we actually just um, on the last week in review podcast, I feel like Zofia, we talked about a very similar idea that the seemingly the only brands that are doing super well right now are the ultra luxury brands or the ultra fast fashion brands, because it's either the customer is not really affected by inflation and they can buy a Tiffany bracelet or something, or they are affected by inflation and they just want the cheapest, easiest thing. So yeah, it, it's definitely having a profound impact on kind of the the whole industry and who's surviving. Um, Zofia, let me throw it over to you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that Joe made some excellent points. Like there's a lot of um, changes that are happening right now for brands. You know, they've only just come out of pandemic, had to shift so many things. Supply chain is going back on track. Um, I think that one thing that would be good to add is, you know, stock issues and general kind of predictions for stock, um, you know, going into the year. I think this year, talking to a lot of the brands that um, I've interviewed for articles, it's always been brands who um, have either had trouble shifting stock um, or possibly kind of oversold things and then things are missing. So I think that maybe... 2023 could be a good opportunity for looking at different business models, um, possibly made to order, um, you know, something where they're not having to overproduce and then have to cut down and discount um, and instead kind of focus just on their full price assortment or, um, or think about kind of discounting in a more structured way where it doesn't feel like, you know, every month there's something new. Yeah, I, I also I also noted down some of the ways that so a lot of brands have very thin margins, and so the, any anything that they can do, like um, so, you mentioned like made to order, but also I've seen things like charging people for returns or um, even layoffs, which are never good, but it's happened a lot at, at a couple fashion companies this year. Um, feels like uh, some categories like jewelry or whatever the, the margins are very high, but I think a lot of especially DTC or kind of middle of the road brands, um, the margins are thin. And so a little bit of increase in in costs for them for production or, or shipping or whatever it is, translates to the need for, you know, cost cutting elsewhere or big changes. They can't always just eat the cost or else they're literally just making zero or negative dollars on on things. Yeah, it's like we're regressing, like um, brands charging for returns, like all of this innovation in digital and fast and Amazon really, you know, I guess accelerating expectations in terms of consumers and and the speed of it all. Um, and now, yeah, all of these new steps and processes and charges are a little bit jarring, I would think, to the con- average consumer. It would be to me if I went to, went to return something and had to think five times about it. And even, even shopping the brand again, like I'm stuck with this shit. Like, am I going to buy it? Um, so yeah, you make a lot of good points. The margin part of it all, the direct to consumer model, their big, um, shtick is, um, cost savings and 
Um, there's no middleman. So anyway, we're seeing the fall of that model right now. Um, yeah, so many kind of high-level trends here um, to watch. Yeah, definitely. So I also wanted to talk about the various fashion weeks and months this year and sort of how they change compared to last year. Um, I think between the three of us, I went to New York. Jill, you went to New York and Paris. And Sophia, you went to London. Did you go to Milan too? I forget, or just London? No, just London this year. Okay, and a couple so between of Paris of us, shows, right? And a couple oh, of that's Paris true. shows, that's true. yeah. So that's between true. the three of us, we covered three of the four big ones, um, like in person, which is pretty cool. I think that's the first year we've we've gotten that. Um, I noticed that, at least in New York, which is the only one I went to, it felt very different from previous years, meaning the last year or two, in which we talked a lot about how it's kind of, um, you know, fragmenting and there was uh, various levels of pandemic stuff going on um, that kind of made it a little bit of a muted affair, although this year London was also muted for other reasons, which was the queen dying, so no parties. Um, but I did feel like New York was more fun and felt more central and important. Like after several seasons of things kind of spreading out in space and time, like people showing before or after New York Fashion Week or outside of New York, felt like a lot of brands came back and were there again. At least it felt that way to me. Um, Jill, you were here for New York Fashion Week. Did you feel that way? I did. I, it feels like, you know, everybody at the end of the pandemic or, you know, the the immediate, um, I guess, fall of the height of the pandemic. Anyway, the, the roaring 20s was the thing. Like, I, I kind of felt that vibe with, like, getting back to fashion week. It was like party time and everybody was just excited to be out and the brands were excited to do something, you know? Um, and I kind of love it because I've always, you know, been a fashion week fan and a fashion fan and I love fashion week. So to see kind of the industry's like um, renewed enthusiasm, it was great because, yeah, it was like, anyway, the height, which I, we'll see how long term this goes. I have kind of concerns that we can talk about this in other um, areas of this podcast, but like um, as the rich keep getting richer and the luxury brands, we know those, the, the Milan, the Paris, like they are the, the home of luxury brand shows. Um, we saw a lot of mm -hmm. great ones. New York, also, you know, we luxury brands, but um, largely there are a lot of contemporary players, um, lower, yeah. kind of these middle guys that were like, do are they getting squeezed out as people go cheaper? Are they going luxury? What happens there? Um, I do think it's something to watch moving forward. Um, what happens to New York Fashion Week? In seasons past, um, we saw... IMG or the the host of the shows, like really giving a lot of um, sponsorships and a lot of um, cuts and they're, they're come and do this and we'll do this for you to kind of keep designers um, showing and keep that uh, cycle going for future seasons when, when money isn't quite as tight for these brands. So um, something to watch. And obviously we can talk about like the spectacles that were shows like um, the Caperni, Caperni, Caperni dress, um, and the um, the Mud show that was Balenciaga, and the YSL show at Eiffel Tower. Like expectations are high, which again, um, that could could withhold some brands from going there. Like, what's going to get people there um, if it's just you know figures on a runway? Um, industry folks, I think common folks will always love a runway show <laughs> if you, if invited. And we can talk more about this later, but um, the Kanye West show in Paris was also a spectacle for for negative reasons. But um, it was sort of like 
it's been a while since there's been some real drama at one of these fashion weeks too. So it was kind of, uh, I mean, it was kind of horrible, but at the same time, it was nice that there was, it was, there was stuff happening, whether it was good or bad. Um, Zofia, what was it like in, in London and Paris for you? Yeah, I think it was pretty muted. Like obviously with the queen dying, you know, a week before the first um, kind of show started, I think it made for a very somber kind of start. And after I think three seasons of different kind of industry changes affecting um, London specifically. Um, and I think, you know, the hits from like Brexit and other things like that. Um, I think this was just a <laughs> literal nail in the coffin moment where it, it does feel like London's been through a lot um, and it kind of needed to uh, change a lot of things. Young designers had to shift um, their shows, make changes, kind of alterations. Like that is typical thing. Like obviously there's always changes that happen during fashion week. But I think that after the pandemic and then after the Queen's passing, I think it just made for um, another kind of issue that designers had to face and, um, and deal with together. And I think there was a lot of talk of kind of collaborating, working together, a lot of young designers kind of banding together to support each other, which was really nice. Um, and I think in Paris, it was more about, you know, as as Jill said, as, as Danny said, like, it was about that spectacle, bringing people back, showing the the kind of allure of fashion in real life. Um, but also, you know, as I report on the metaverse and kind of things going on, I think there's a lot of digital activations where it's both digital and physical together. Um, a lot of those metaverse things blew up during the pandemic just because it was such an important kind of time to be online, to do things which were, you know, creative online as well. Um, so I think that those um, brands engage with that now kind of want to keep that element and bring it into the shows um, and make those things more accessible as well. Um, I think that aspect of accessibility was something that I think it was the Klarna sponsors that they brought up at New York Fashion Week or at London. Um, and they said that, you know, bringing more people in, making it a kind of more public and exclusive event at the same time um, is something that they're looking at doing over the next couple of seasons. So this is going back to the the a little bit to the first topic on inflation. I'm just thinking of this. Did London Fashion Week overlap with the kind of energy crisis that was happening Yep. in the UK that, that was happening at the same time right yeah everything was happening at the same time like it's just been whammy after whammy for um for the UK and the UK fashion industry I think there's a lot of factors that are affecting it right now um there was you know obviously the the tax issue that was raised with um tourists not being able to claim back um tax returns when they're traveling which is a big kind of boom for luxury um luxury fashion and luxury fashion kind of shopping um which was a big thing for london that stopped as well so i think it, it almost feels like yeah there's just blockade after blockade um for the london fashion industry and you know the uk fashion industry at large yeah yeah do you think what do you think danny or in sophia in terms of like what to watch for because in my head it's like i'm see we're seeing the fragmenting like people uh showing outside of the the weeks the months um jacques mousse just showed and there was a for a long time the talk of the emerging i guess um pre-season or they were calling it you know a different name within july in december um and if what jacques mousse said was Sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. Um, the that if you show outside of Paris, a fashion capital, um, and you want to do that, like really, it's the only way to go about it is to not show within the month because you know brands get pissed off. <laughs> you get it's harder to get people there if you're not flying them there. Um, so 
I mean, I we saw that a lot though this year. Celine um, in Los Angeles, with which LA is something even you know something to discuss because um, LA Fashion Week it was kind of always like entertainment and it was kind of this like outlier and they brought in this like Fenty executive, which Fenty does those amazing shows on Amazon. It is more so entertainment and the shows that happen in LA are more kind of fun, kind of, they seem almost, I wouldn't say frivolous, but like, it's not like serious, like, I don't know, editors sitting in the front row. It's, it seems like more like a party, I would say. Um, so I, that model, I feel like, you know, there's something to it, um, and brands probably borrowing it from borrowing from it um, as Fashion Week is in limbo. Um, but I would just say yes. Two things for, that I'm watching is kind of the entertainment um, push for Fashion Month, um, a la um, LA Fashion Week TBD. If that like you know catches on and becomes a, an official capital or what what have you, um, but also. Um, just the fragment fragmenting of the fashion calendar and what does that look like moving forward? Do you guys think that that has like, you know, potential? Um, will it always be these two times of year? I, I think it's definitely, I, I agree that the, the fragmenting is going to continue to happen. I was just remembering that Bottega um, did a show in Detroit and I think it was in like December or something um, of last year uh, or maybe it was this past year. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, they did a show in Detroit outside of the the normal month. So I could definitely see that happening. Um, and like Gucci has done shows in Italy, but not in Milan, just like at some castle or something in the countryside. So I think if, especially for the big brands, they can get away with stuff like that because people will come no matter what. I was going to say my my sort of prediction or something to look out for in, in the fashion weeks is just the... Um, luxury brands getting bigger and better. I mean, they're already big and they, you know, we said earlier that the really expensive brands are doing very well because their customers are not affected by inflation. So a lot of those brands are doing great. And I think their shows are going to become even more spectacular kind of. I was thinking about, um, I'm forgetting who, who did it to who, but between Valentino and Dior, I think it was Dior did a show that was in front, in front of the Valentino store. And it was, so, like a big disruptive thing. And then Valentino was like demanding compensation for having no business because the show was like blocking the street or whatever. Um, I might have that backwards. Maybe it was a Valentino show blocking a Dior store, but I think it was a Dior show blocking a Valentino store. So I can imagine those shows just being like big and bombastic and even more kind of wasteful is the other thing. I've, there's been a lot of criticism of, you know, a big Louis Vuitton show or a big summer that's, you know, takes thousands of hours of of time and and you know all this like temporary set dressing and all this stuff that then just gets pulled down like so I think there will probably be some criticism of that too but that would be my guess is that those shows are just going to get bigger I was going to ask I, I was going to say Sophie is going to go there with the wastefulness of it all but Danny you <laughs> did but like the flying the people in and um mm, yeah, yeah like you said the set of it all it, it, it's a fine line like they want to make it a spectacle and a draw, but um, they want to avoid that that backlash and those, um, mm -hmm. yeah, the watchful eye. So, yeah, something to watch. I agree. I think that that's actually been less of a thing this year. I think that people are actually so keen on the spectacle of it that they've almost kind of turned a blind eye to 
all of those sustainability impacts that were a thing and actually were already kind of in that conversation even before the pandemic. Like, are we doing too many big shows? Is it something which is wasteful? Like, is it necessary? Now we've kind of gone back to it. And, you know, I guess that, you know, after two years of being locked down, that is just something that people want. They want some of that kind of liberation, freedom and kind of creativity that comes with um, all of that. And, you know, fashion Professional weeks and and the venues can be quite restrictive. I think they're very good for launching kind of new designers and showcasing something. But for these mega brands, like you said, like the, it's all about creating brand worlds. Um, and a lot of them are picking up on kind of very location-based collections. So they're inspired by a specific location. Um, and then they go there to kind of bring people in that mood. I think we had the, the Dior show that was in Egypt with the pyramids um I think that that kind of makes sense to bring that in and you're right by the way Danny it was Valentino who did the show blocking access to your boutique on the Spanish steps in Rome um and obviously that's right that's right it's very funny because there's a lot of luxury stores on that particular street anyway so it could have been any one of those stores that brought it up but apparently Dior was particularly hurt by that so yeah yeah and then they dropped it too They, they yeah they did yeah they, they like wrote this open letter or something and were demanding compensation. And then a few days later, they were like, never mind, it's fine. <laughs> um, weird. Um, but let's move on to our third topic, which is I wanted to talk about the uh, return of physical retail. I mean, I know that last year, um, by that I mean 2021, was a big year for e-commerce. Um, there was the e-commerce revenues just like you know, blew through the roof and there was a lot of shifting of investment in there and a lot of, you know, innovation. And it felt like 2022 uh, had a lot more physical retail. We saw a lot of brands and and retailers betting bigger on um, their stores and, and also introducing new store concepts. Um, like Hollister had their like uh, revolving store kind of thing. I think there was a lot of emphasis on flexibility and, you know, easily swapping in and out exhibitions or, or different collections and stuff, which I think you could probably connect to the fact that uh, micro trends just come and go so fast that it's also helpful to have a store that can kind of model that. What do you think? How about, Zofia, if you want to go first? Um, did you feel like uh, this was the year where physical retail came back? Yeah, definitely. And in all of my conversations this year, I think that that aspect of modularity in stores is still a big thing. Like it's about kind of having these changeable environments where brands are able to showcase what they're doing for different collections um, in, you know, a unique way for each kind of new collection that allows them that flexibility so that they don't have to be limited by the store format, the layout. There's a lot more kind of tech integration that's come after the pandemic, um, especially in in terms of kind of AR try-on. That's something that's coming into stores and I expect it will be a bigger thing going into 2023. Um, And I think that the... Um, the kind of shopping experience is also being reimagined. Um, you know, like people have, for example, like Reformation has less clothing out in its stores nowadays because of the fact mm-hmm. it wants to showcase a kind of more luxurious and easy format. It doesn't want to bring that kind of frantic energy to the shopping experience. And then, you know, for sizing, they're just simply items that are brought out from the back to the dressing room. I think that that's something that, um, you know, could be a bigger thing for brands which are maybe on that kind of mid-end to luxury proposition. They're looking for different um, ways to attract the customer. Um, I do think that, you know, 
it's it's a perfect opportunity to reformat the way that you're thinking about retail um, and the way that you're thinking about in-store locations. We've seen a lot of closures um, of locations that are maybe getting less traction or looking at um, stores. I mean, this obviously isn't fashion, but Divtique has said that, you know, they're focusing on different locations nowadays. Um, so it's not just about the capitals. It's also about focusing on local markets and expanding, you know, what it means to be in a specific area. So is that something that um, a lot of other brands will consider, you know, the same way that they're kind of bringing in uh, themes from fashion shows and collections from specific locations? They might be more kind of localized stores in terms of how you know, they're approaching product or themes inside the store um, and also bringing in events um, into stores so that they're more kind of locations to be in rather than just a shop in. I think that's such yeah. a good point. It's such a good strategy, right? Like going beyond the fashion cap or the the coasts that are used to getting these stores. Mm. Um, we were talking about last night in our holiday party, like, me now, like, living in St. Louis. Um, when, we, when St. Louis gets something a fashion event. Diane von Furstenberg recently came and spoke. Uh, there was rumor of us getting a Zara. We are getting a Gucci. Like the, the city swarms. Like it's, <laughs> they, we talk about it for weeks. Like it is like the biggest thing. And, and it continues on. Like people are excited to be part of a fashion something um, because there's so little. Um, and and it, it is a bigger city, you know, it's not New York, but there's opportunity there. It's kind of this year, uh, I'm definitely also seeing the shift back to phys physical um, retail like everyone else. But doesn't it kind of highlight the fickleness, I guess, of, of fashion? Like the last two years, it was like moved, everything's digital and really brands bloating their digital strategies, right? Like, and we saw all these layoffs, they overhired, um, they didn't put enough attention. Maybe they pulled back on their wholesale team and now... They're eager to get back into wholesale because digital advertising costs are so high, and this is an advertising uh, an awareness play. Um, and now, yeah, people are excited to be out and about again and physical retail. Wow, foot traffic is back, and now it's like we love physical retail. I part of my like pop culture references, but it's like um, there's a Sex in the City episode where like Miranda's like, "Where did you get that the theories that serve you dot com?" <laughs> But it's just like, it's so like everybody jumps on like what's working, you know, and, and it's just been high and low and left and right. And, um, and that's kind of why brands would, they're like, we don't know what's to come. Um, I feel like making those big, um, big projections or big, um, calls, bold calls for the year ahead. There's not as much as of that now as everything's so wishy-washy and up in the air. Um, but Gosh, the physical retail landscape. Sophia, I think you did a story. What is the the sneaker brand called? Like P four forty eight that moved yeah. in across from across from Carita, which is like the ultimate in in luxury beauty spas and and on the most amazing street in in Paris. And they were kind of like snubbing their nose, like there goes the neighborhood. Like it was like, <laughs> oh gosh, what's happening? But like with with brands, kind of leases became more affordable leases now it's up again but like there was this big overturn um and so where i do think that i think that there will be kind of something interesting to watch um i'm look <laughs> i keep looking forward but is like what happens to these sh huge shopping districts they're not maybe as luxury focused as they once were or um i don't know what do you yeah. what do you think 
Go ahead. I think that maybe they will expand to different categories. I think that, you know, luxury um, can, you know, spread beyond beauty and fashion. I think that, you know, the aspect of like homeware, um, like jewelry, it's it's kind of always about bringing new things in and kind of making it almost an attraction point. Um, especially in London, like there's become a lot of different kind of neighborhoods that are particularly known for like the specific vibe. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe that might be more of a thing where it's just about a grouping of particular kind of stores and experiences in a specific area um, that bring customers in rather than kind of one specific store or one kind of like theme like luxury just to bring them in. I think that it's all about kind of making it entertaining and essentially creating like a little mini Disneyland in different areas like I think that's where it's going um especially you know as brands will want to bring customers into stores for more than just shopping and clothes yeah and Jill I really agree with your point that um the industry tends to uh go all in on something when there's the in, an indication that it is going to work. So when e-commerce was big, it was like, let's hire hundreds of people in e-commerce and put everything into it. And then when it shifts away, it's kind of like, we got to lay people off. We have to do all this. So, um, but I do think as another one of my predictions that that's going to keep happening. Um, I felt the same way with like uh, crypto or NFT things, which we've talked about plenty on this podcast, but it really felt like at the first sign that that could be a moneymaker, people hired entire in-house teams of like metaverse people and stuff. Um, but we can talk about that a little more later. Um, I think we should take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, we will talk about one of the biggest or maybe two of the biggest fashion controversies of the year. Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the big controversies this year. We've talked about several of these in depth on the podcast, so we won't go into a ton of detail. But I mean, Kanye West's entire empire kind of imploded. Balenciaga had that uh, humongous controversy about those two ads that like went completely mainstream and was on like Fox News and every you know the New York Times and everything. Um, there was a lot of other stuff, um, like Nike dropped Kyrie Irving, like for various reasons. Um, again, we don't have to go into all the details, but it did feel like there was a, a lot of big, high-profile kind of um, scandals and a lot of uh, public-facing kind of face of the brand sort of people got dropped or were, you know, had some sort of separation from the brands that they were working with at the time uh, of the. Nike and Kyrie Irving thing, I wrote about how uh, sort of the the danger of, you know, associating your brand very specifically with uh, a celebrity or a specific person is you're kind of at the mercy of their public perception and their PR and stuff. Um, so like Kim Kardashian is associated with Balenciaga. And after that whole controversy, she kind of put out a statement that was a little weasely to me of like, uh, I might, I'm like rethinking my relationship with them, which that was a way to kind of make it sound like she might do something, but then I don't think she did. And she's still like wearing Balenciaga and stuff. So um, not that she needs to drop them or whatever, but it was sort of just leaving the door open for her. But it goes the other way too with brands where sometimes, you know, when kind and the early days of the Kanye controversy gap and Adidas were like, we are concerned about his behavior, but not concerned enough yet, basically, that, you know, kind of leaving it open for them. So what did you guys think of the the various scandals and controversies and stuff in this year? I When you said Kanye and Balenciaga, Danny, there have been so many scandals. Like during Fashion Week, I forgot about the White Lives Matter, you know? So much has happened mm -hmm. since 
that show and that moment. There's been a lot. Um, we were talking in our Slack channel the other day where I was like, my gosh, something to watch here. Um, when will Kim reunite with Balenciaga? Is that going to happen? Because really, um, Amy O'Dell had a – I subscribed to her newsletter. She had a great kind of question where she was really exploring, like, do the Kardashian-Jenners kind of um, survive in in the next era, the woke era, the, where, the, where things are going in culture? Because um, – and we saw, you know, the Courtney wedding, D&G, they're controversial. Um, I repeatedly get um, pitches about Kylie wearing um, head-to-toe Alexander Wang, um, has had controversial moments. Oh, my God. I forgot about the Alexander Wang thing, too. Yeah. So wow. it's like, well, one, for how long are we canceled? Like, this was about something totally different. But, like, we were talking about Chrissy Teigen in our channel about this cheek-slimming surgery that everyone's getting. I had not heard of it. But I was like, that's my question. I was like, is Chrissy Teigen still canceled? Like, I don't know. She was bullying. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. so it's just like, how for how long is are we canceling brands, people? Like, when is it okay for, I don't know, to reunite? And what does this mean for Balenciaga? I would love to hear what you guys think because I also heard, you know, they're opening a store in Soho's Luxury Row. And I thought it was like a new store. And I was like, how's that going to do? Um, but apparently there's like moving their store in Soho. They had one, but I don't know. I feel like this is, it's going to be a rough couple of years of minimum in my eyes. Yeah, I think so too. Zofia, why don't you go first? Yeah, of course. Um, I think that, you know, it's it's been a really interesting year in terms of like the whole celebrity and brand, um, I guess, dichotomy. It's It's kind of, weird um in my opinion that there's brands um who are still you know okay with signing celebrities who are controversial and the same way with celebrities who are absolutely fine with supporting designers who are very well known for um, maybe not just like doing something as a one-off but continuing to do that um and and I said something when the DNG scandal came out I think that was a couple of years ago um where fashion has a very kind of like goldfish memory with these kind of things and it almost tends to forget what has happened and I felt like you know during the Black Lives Matter protest like a lot of brands were saying things and then you kind of were looking for a follow-up and that never happened and I guess with Balenciaga now um, I'm wondering if there's going to be a follow-up on what they did with the campaign even if it was unintentional is what they said I think that what is important is is kind of like having that next step there and making that public and focusing on that rather than just making it as a kind of like one-off action I think that brands are cancelled for a reason in a specific kind of like time um but you know as I said goldfish memory people just want to go back to a specific aesthetic um and if that is what they're going for then it's very easy for them to get away with things and to keep doing what they're doing without any kind of consequences. Yeah, I, I, I so I wrote um, at the time about the uh, the Kyrie and, and, and Kanye things um, where I talked to a lawyer who works on a lot of contracts who, you know, for brands and celebrities and stuff like this. And she said it's it's not uncommon for there to be some sort of clause that's like, if you say something racist, we can fire you or something like that. I feel like those are going to be even more uh, common and maybe comprehensive where if you get canceled for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, that's, um, you know, that's a reason for us to end our partnership. So I'm sure other brands who have not had a scandal like that uh, will be looking at 
the examples of Balenciaga or, or uh, Gap or whoever else and, and trying to sort of come up with their own contingency plans for when that inevitably happens. Um, let's move on to our last topic, which is kind of just generally about greenwashing. There actually is perfect timing because I came up with this topic before this happened, but um, literally just the other day, as, as far as when we're recording this mid-December, um, the FTC in the U.S. Uh, announced that they they voted unanimously to revise the, the green guides, which is not laws, but sort of a, a set of guidelines and, and um, rules, I guess, on, on what you can say uh, in green advertising, basically. Um, the, I feel like some EU countries and the UK do a better job of that generally, but there's also some movement there um, with like the Norwegian Consumer Authority had their whole thing with the, uh, what's it called, the Higgs index. Uh, that was that label that H&M was using to kind of say how sustainable each of their products were, except it was kind of misleading. So there's stuff happening on on both sides of the Atlantic here. But um, it, I think consumers are very, uh, very skeptical of a lot of sustainability claims just because they're so, so common and every brand knows they have to at least say it. So they're, it's just everywhere. And it's kind of completely diluted um, a lot of those words and you know, ideas in people's minds. So, Sophia, this is something you cover a lot. So how about you go first? What are your thoughts on, um, I don't know, any changes there or how you felt about greenwashing or whatever in, in 2022? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the um, the greenwashing scandal and kind of green shading, which is almost like a new thing where brands are kind of not implicitly saying something, but they kind of are saying something just more or less under the radar um i think that that's going to be a growing thing um and something that brands will need to be focusing on the the hicks sustainability index was the most popular way for brands to categorize their materials basically and say what was and wasn't sustainable um problem with it was that if for example it rated um items which were sustainable only on like a certain part of their life cycle so they weren't taking into account you know regenerative um kind of options like wool and rating them uh, less highly to something like polyester um, which made for a lot of kind of difficulties um, and I think that's also probably what brought about the investigation with H&M as well um, is that it's not necessarily the best standard I think that right now um, there's a lot of other standards which are being set up in the US um, and the EU to kind of make those a little bit more concrete. It's no longer about kind of self-legislation and self-regulation. It's kind of more about having that oversight and making it a, a kind of more sustainable field across the board. It's not, you know, it's not left down to the brands anymore for them to decide what is and isn't sustainable for them. It's kind of more about other things and um, communicating that clearly through um, tags, websites and everything um, to the customer. And I think that's going to be a big, big thing next year um, because so much of that legislation is going to come up and actually start affecting brands. Yeah, and I, I, from what I've seen, I feel like the brands um, in general are are also in support of more greenwashing regulations or rules just because it's it's gotten to the point where it's harmful to them now too that consumers just like don't buy anything that they see because it's it's so rampant. So if you actually are doing something sustainable, it's like almost pointless to advertise because it's like no one can no one knows if you're even being honest about it. So I, I've definitely seen some brands um support quite strongly um, you know, regulating some of those things. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I would love to hear from Sophia if you agree that like 
honestly, I just think the proof is in the pudding and the way things are going. Like brands aren't going to have any wiggle room like to be ambiguous because where we're seeing um like the the blockchain the potential there is in um you know the 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 ability to um trace and and to to have a record of every step and every material and and as transparency is demanded demanded brands will have to show you know what what they're tracing they have the capability now increasingly moving forward so it's like here's what we're doing here, show it to the world and take it or leave it. I just feel like that's where it's going and there will be less, yeah, ambiguousness, if that's a word, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Ambiguity. I, I that's what I'm hoping. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of the recent um, changes within companies where you're tying in, um, executive compensation to green objectives, bringing in green bonds, um, like all of that kind of financial things is also going to impact the industry. I think from the last two years where you've seen that certain material supply chains are affected by, you know, whether that's a bad yield, for example, for something like organic cotton, which a lot more of the industry is starting to rely on now because of all of these changes. I think it just makes more financial sense now for brands to make it a big part of their priority and to kind of restructure their company so that they're making this a focus. Otherwise, they simply won't have materials um, and all of the kind of necessary elements for them to build a brand that's going to live on in the future. Like, I think that kind of short-term gain perspective is definitely out. Um, and I'm hoping that, yeah, that ambiguity will get completely just cancelled next year. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's finish up by sharing some predictions for 2023. These do not have to be um, super specific, and there's no points if any of these uh, come true. So don't worry about if they are uh, far-fetched or not. I've got two. Um, one of them, ironically, is about far-fetched. Um, I predict that far-fetch will... This, and this is not based on any insider information. I have not heard this rumor or anything. This is purely just my speculation. Um, they've just been on an acquisition kind of spree. I feel like they've bought a lot of other, like they've bought little tech companies that you haven't heard of, but they've also bought like stadium goods and all this other stuff. I predict that they will buy an, an actual luxury brand in 2023. Um, I could be totally wrong about that, but I just, I feel like I wouldn't be surprised. Um, my other prediction is that I think a, a fashion brand, I don't know who, will get sued over something involving NFTs. Like, I just, I've been in the discords for several brands. They're so full of scammy-looking stuff. <laughs> I just, I smell a class action lawsuit coming against one of these brands at some point. Um, whether it they whether it's a lawsuit that gets won or if it just gets tossed out or something, I don't know. But I feel like that's going to happen. That's my two predictions. Um, Zofia, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think for my predictions, it's going to be tied into greenwashing as well. Um, I think that legislation will just have a massive impact on brands. And I think far more than kind of we're um, giving it rise to all of that, those details haven't been kind of put out. So I think that that's something that's going to affect fashion brands. Um, and the other thing is that um, maybe I haven't quite talked about it in this podcast um, as much is the growth of augmented reality and kind of how that's going to be affecting brands across the board, across retail. I think that's something that's going to grow significantly. People are very, um, you know, metaverse resistant for a long time, but I think the possibilities of AR are very obvious. Uh, I think it makes sense for brands to implement them now to make it, you know, an easier kind of experience for them, both on the back end and for customers as well. Well, I think that's a good one. Um, Jill. 
Yeah. I don't know how bold mine is, but I just foresee, um, again, with the Jacques Mousse show, um, they came out with, um, the brand came out with $500 bags or under $500 bags. Bags are 50% of their revenue. Um, I just foresee more brands like... uh, appealing to or targeting the more budget conscious shopper, whether it's beyond Gen Z, like people are pinching their pennies. Um, We just heard that Zara, um, you know, they raised their prices and they had, it it served them well. They saw good traction, but at the same time, like we saw a rise of these brands that probably looking to appeal to people like me. Like you don't maybe want to shop fast fashion. You want something a little more unique. Um, You're willing to spend a little bit more, but I, you know, I compare it to Zara prices, but like Brandon Blackwood like came out with the bags that are more affordable and um, really took off. And like Hanifa, really cool, not crazy expensive. Uh, someone like me can afford it and will will shop it to have something cool. Um, but at the same time, like those brands, they got hot and actually like they raised their prices and I'm priced out. So I think that there will be more um, opportunity for indie brands or these younger brands, even lower than the contemporary price point um, to come in take some market share, get traction. We saw this with a lot of handbag brands this year. Um, And, you know, short-lived or not, but I just think we're going to see more of it because there's more appetite for it as everyone's um, tightening their their purse strings. Mm. These are all great predictions. I think that maybe at the end of 2023, in our next year in review, we should revisit these and see if they came true. Um, but until then, uh, it's been so fun doing this podcast with both of you guys throughout the year. So thank you for being such great co-hosts for those of you listening. Thank you for listening. Also, you should give us a rating and a review on Apple podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. Um, that really helps us out a lot. Uh, you should also subscribe to the glossy podcast because you'll hear, we can review every Wednesday interviews with Jill, sometimes me and an industry insider, um, every Friday. Um, but we are done for the year. So we will see you guys in January. Um, And once again, thank you for listening. And thanks to my two co-hosts. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Sophia. (laughs)